A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, how about day 10 of the 2021 Australian Open? A, I hope this isn't too hyperbolous, but a truly, I think, historic day in in Grand Slam and Australian Open history. Talk about going out on a high for Button Man with the fake crowd controls. He's out of a job tomorrow, uh, not because he's had a shocker of a, a few days, but because crowds will be returning to Melbourne Park from Thursday, which is just such a wonderful thought. And it's a doubly wonderful thought that after the day that we've had today, and we're going to spend an hour waxing lyrical about it, that there's still a way for tomorrow to be better. There's not that feeling of, oh, it's over. I still feel like, wow, tomorrow is kind of guaranteed to be different, but wonderful. Yeah. And just enriched by having people there no matter what isn't mm. it should say overnight we had the breaking news that it isn't a person operating the fake crowd do we trust this breaking news wow. Are you sure i don't trust any of your breaking news anymore david after that hurts. <laughs> after <laughs> is it run well, by a poll <laughs> <laughs> after yesterday uh, we didn't even have time to come on to this yesterday, but David um, started rumours of a win predictor scandal <laughs> uh, by breaking the news on the BBC. So I took it to be gospel uh, that the the win predictor, which you'll see at various points in in matches, flashed up on the the screen in in graphics, was was not in fact based on a on a complicated and finely tuned algorithm. But in fact, based on the world's biggest pole vault. <laughs> this information had come to me by uh, somebody who worked for ABC in Australia. So it must have been true. Is Which is I the thought. equivalent of the BBC. Yeah. This um, is a lot of misinformation being spread by supposedly reputable sources. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> anyway, David started a big pole vault rumour and it turned out to be bollocks. <laughs> Yes, basically the uh, something like the Game Insight Group or something like that got in touch yes. uh, on Twitter to tell us that it was all hard numbers mashed together to produce a win predictor scale of so uh, however if, many for one player and however many for the other player. Yeah, and to be fair, Game Insight Group we understand do some absolutely terrific work. I have to say, I don't think their match predictor is their finest work. I think that's why we believed it could be a pole vault of random people. <laughs> pole vault's great, yeah. folks. Yeah, not anybody's finest work ever, a pole. Um, yes, uh, my my brother informs me that the Game Insight group um, are sort of the, the gold standard of data analysis in tennis, and he's not easily pleased on the on the data analysis front. So I I totally take his word that they, they do better work than the win predictor might suggest um because it it isn't always a thing of of beauty or even sophistication mm. so um, it's a bit like how i i'm sure i do better work than pole vault but you know i'm still getting getting behind it i would say some of its finest work that i've witnessed might have come during the truly epic 
Stefanos Tsitsipas Rafael Nadal match, which finished what half an hour ago, an hour ago, something mm. like that, um, because it showed it, it showed the the percentage chances of win respective wins before the match, and then it showed the swing into the fifth set, uh, and there'd been a a the twenty six percent swing in Tsitsipas's favour. And I think midway through the fifth set, at which point we were all speculating among ourselves on WhatsApp and David was instructing Hannah on Twitter to do a poll. And I I tried to put the kibosh on that, but I got there too late and David had already done it. Um, we were all speculating who was the favourite at that stage and we all had a different answer. Well, the win predictor had Sitsapass at 54% and Nadal at 46 so today's big winner was the win predictor. Hold on, I said he would win as well that fifth set. So did I. Well, there you go. I was going to say that, David. So I was today's big loser was me and Rafael Nadal. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but you had good reason to back the twenty-time Grand Slam champion Matt in that situation. Perhaps we should talk about how he and we all came to be in that situation. Uh, the preceding three and a half hours of tennis that that got us to that point, that got us to the point of Stefanos Tsitsipas beating Rafael Nadal from two sets to love down. The second time anyone has done that in Grand Slam history, Fabio Fanini did it to him at the US Open in 2015, but that result comes with the asterisk of it being Nadal in 2015, um, which was the weakest Nadal that we've seen at any point in his career. Um, it's It's been done a, a third time by Roger Federer in the Miami final in 2005, but that was 2005, um, at which stage he hadn't won a single Grand Slam. So this is historic. This is an historic victory for Stefanos Tsitsipas and all the more so because of how the first two sets panned out what chance david were you giving sit to pass of winning that match what would your win predictor mm-hmm. have been for sit to pass after those first two sets one by nadal six two six three six three six two six three six two yeah. and probably even less close than that scoreline yeah. suggested they reminded me of nadal against federer at the french open in sort of the late noughties early 2010s of just bereft. Well, it reminded Nothing me to of, do. The matchup just doesn't work. It reminded me of Sitsipas against Nadal two years ago in the same round. He won six games in the whole match, Sitsipas, that day. And very similar. And I thought he the game, the matchup is all wrong for him. Um, he, he looks bereft. He looks impotent really in the face of what he's up against. Nadal was playing brilliantly, I thought. His tactics were perfect. He was hooking the forehand into the backhand of Sitsabas and as you rightly say, it was Roger Federer 12 years worth on display in those first two sets before Federer finally cracked it in 2017 and beyond. Um and I my sense was that I mean you asked me a percentage I'd have, I'd have given him 10% chance probably if that um, I think that's generous. Maybe it is, yeah. Um, Matt, Matt, what would you have given it just at, at that stage? Yeah, 5 10%, something like mm-hmm. that. Nadal doesn't lose leads like that, and he's playing it so well, and Sitsipas can't figure him out. Everything was on Nadal's side. My, my sense was that Sitsipas had come out with a premeditated strategy, and I mean, you should come out with a strategy. It, I felt like he'd almost watched Roger Federer 2017 back and thought, right, I'm going to rip my backhand and he's going to have it. Um, and he tried to do it from ball one, and either Nadal just stepped around it and dismissed it down the line for a clean winner or kept him camped in that corner. He just He was making no impact at all. And I also thought... He hadn't played himself in before he was trying to go for his shots and uh, sits a pass and he just hadn't got the timing. He wasn't feeling the ball. And I thought, I mean, it was it was ugly. It was a non-event. And I wrote to you both that it's dispiriting to watch this because I was really looking forward to it. Mm. Um, and I sensed that what happened was in the third set, he stopped trying to stick to whatever blueprint they'd come up with and he just played. 
and he just tried to feel his way in, play each ball on its merits, back his own ability with the racket and, and his own physicality to try to stay with Nadal. And Nadal went off the boil dramatically. And it was really the two missed smashes that Nadal hit that made you really kind of look at him as if, is that am I seeing that right? Because I don't remember seeing Nadal miss smashes. Um, and he two lost in a his, game, albeit yeah. a tiebreak. Well, tie but yeah. I don't think that's ever happened before. Mm, Nadal yeah. does not miss overheads. Mm-hmm. And he also missed a very easy forehand in that tiebreak. I mean, we were so close to talking about a Nadal disruption of Tsitsipas here. I mean, even in that third set, Tsitsipas was playing better for sure. He was holding his serve. He didn't come close to winning points on Nadal's serve in that third set. Mm. I think he won one before the Nadal tie break. Won the, I know Nadal was 20 for 20 at mm. one point. He was making Nadal, who on his on his best day, his serve isn't his forte. Look, he's maximised it and worked on it so hard over the course of his career um, and made it, if not quite one of his best weapons, but absolutely not a weakness. Um, but bearing in mind, Nadal came into this tournament with a injury that was forcing him to adjust his service motion 20 years into his career. He looked like Ivo Karlovic for three sets. And the stats looked like Ivo Karlovic Mm, for three sets. Yeah. So the way that just a few points transform this match from one thing into something completely different was fascinating because as soon as Nadal lost that tie break the match felt different to watch. Tsitsipas had grown. He had belief. And Nadal's game didn't desert him. He he still played okay in the fourth and fifth sets, but he was nowhere near as good as he was at the start. And Tsitsipas was so much better. And I find that fascinating, how just a a little moment like that can completely turn a match. It's, it's, It's wonderful. I can't believe I'm about to ask this question. But was Nadal tired? I think he, in sets four and five, he looked tired to me. He was sweating buckets. and he, he, As he left the court at the end, now I know it was a long match and gruelling mentally and physically, but he looked kind of a shot. At, I know he always sweats buckets, but kind of as red in the face mm. as I've ever seen him. And I, and I was starting to analyse whether the unforced errors were actually because his feet just minutely weren't quite in the right position as they normally would be. He cramped in his press conference. Oh, wow. Um, and he said he didn't feel fantastic in the fifth set, but he didn't feel bad either. Uh, he, he was he was very, of course, he was very quick to give the credit to Sitsapas for raising his game. He did talk about the regrets he had in that tie break. That was the moment where the match slipped from his grasp, I think, because then it did feel like Sitsapas was the one bossing the rallies and the one playing it on his terms a little bit more. Uh, I think the conditions slowed down as the mm. as the mm. night went on. I think the first couple of sets, Nadal's ball was reacting off off that surface and jumping up, and it was vicious to play against. Whereas it seemed like he had less and less impact as the match went on, and perhaps that was a little bit of his own fatigue, perhaps that was the conditions, and Sitsipas started started to take over. It was great seeing Sitsipas get out of his own head and just yeah. play on instinct because I, I felt like I was watching an existential crisis for two sets to the extent that it kind of impaired my enjoyment of how brilliant Nadal was being and I wanted mm. to try and enjoy that. But as you said, David, it was you were kind of wincing at it. I, I was feeling all of his angst with him. Yeah. And the danger is that that could perpetuate because mm. if that keeps happening, how do you ever remove that scar tissue from your mm. senses when, when it matters in the future? At some point, you have to break through the shackles of your own doubt and your own fear and your own intimidation, which is what I think he was suffering from um, in the rivalry and the matchup, the, the, the patterns of the rallies and all the rest of it. The fact that his own game was having no effect on his opponent um, – but yeah, I mean, he wins the third set. I thought Nadal looked like Federer against Milman at the US Open. He looked mm. old. He looked sweaty, tired. Look, it doesn't mean anything. I mean, Nadal will come out and he'll be 
what he always is again of course he will i i, I believe but in that moment that's the visual i got the similar feel and um he it reminded me in the in the start of the fourth set when i saw him like that i remembered him when he played fanini the other day he was asked about the conditions and he, he said you know i my next match i think will be at night i would prefer it in the i prefer the day because it's faster it's my it's quicker through the air and i did just sort of note that mentally a little bit at the time because those conditions he prefers and yeah it, he didn't look that comfortable as the match wore on but it was just watching the shift it was almost like the wind predictor visualized the shift in how things were going if anything because suddenly in neutral in rallying balls sits a pass is comfortable and again just backing his own movement and his own shot making and then realizing just growing before your eyes i mean this guy is his everest the ultimate challenge in the sport for him and he he climbed the mountain and um and i thought it was um yeah, I mean, I feel bad for Nadal and and great story that is lost, but it's also uplifting to see a guy overcome all of this, all of these doubts. Mm. How many times do you think commentators around the world said the name Borna Choric when match <laughs> points were disappearing from Sitsipas in that final game? I, I feel like probably quite a lot. And yet he played them, he, Nadal had played them so well, those match points. It didn't feel like Sitsipas had lost them in the way mm-hmm. he did against Chorich. Just another kind of example of him growing and learning. And I think the other match to pick up on from the past is one that you picked up on, David, just in that third set, which was the Djokovic match at the French Open, where Sitsipas had lost the first two sets by exactly the same scoreline. He then found a way to win the third set, gave him a foothold in the match, took it to a fifth, but was just beaten in the end by Djokovic. Well, today he's managed to sort of build on that experience. Mm. And that's what I, that's why, where my 10% came from, if anything, mm. is just the knowledge. At least he's been down two sets to love and disappointing before against one of the big three and found a way to be competitive. Um, but I just his perseverance in set three was as important as his shot making and everything else later on yeah and and i should have given that comparison at the time david more more credence i think because when you said that i thought mm, yeah sort of good point in theory but in sitsipas's mind it's not the big three it's nadal and the other two yeah i do agree with that i mean he he had definitely in his mind he has elevated nadal more mm. than everybody mm. else has which is seems impossible to do because we all revere Nadal but we we do tend to I think mostly we tend to revere them as a trio he has a different view Mm. obviously it turned out to be an amazing comparison but also at the time I was thinking well he had chances against Djokovic in those first two sets in Paris I remember he just wasn't taking his break points he wasn't getting close to Nadal in those first two sets today so the fact that he as you said kept it together in that third set and built some belief up by holding his serve, gave him the foundation, as you said, for his shot making to flourish later on. It was, yeah, remarkable. He said in the post-match interview, I'm speechless. I have no words to describe what just happened. Uh, I started very nervous, I won't lie, but I don't know what happened after the third set. The emotions are now indescribable. Didn't he say I finished like a little bird? He said he flew yes. like a bird. He flew oh. like a little bird. He, <laughs> he he likened himself to a lion in the second round, I think. Uh, the Kokonakis win that was, wasn't it? And uh, he's likened himself to a bird today. I'd have actually gone lion today, but whatever. He felt like a little bird. <laughs> um, and he was dressed like one. So that works. And then he... He said, I give a big part of my win to being consistent with my mood. And he, mm. he was actually, I don't know whether he was internally, but there there were fewer remonstrations than than there would usually be. You know, he wasn't behaving like a teenager towards his dad. No, no, actually you're right. And I feel like they've arrived at a, it seems from the outside, they've arrived at a comfortable period in their relationship as mm. coach player 
father son i mean the emotion of the two of them when Ugh. they hug, when they hugged at the end oh god it was like when they hug in goodwill hunting isn't it oh <laughs> god like three hours of film building up to that moment yeah. um he got a coaching violation didn't he he Sits did, a pass yeah. for Apostolos's input. Yeah, mm. I think Nadal thought he was getting a time violation at that moment. <laughs> yes. He looked up as if to say, damn you. Oh, no, it's not for it me. It was like violation bingo. <laughs> um, he wrote on the camera, TP, that's for you, which we are taking as a endorsement and nod <laughs> towards the tennis podcast. The case is not yet closed. Very much up in the air. Yes. <laughs> yes. Will we ever know? Maybe not. Uh, Nadal said after the match in the press conference, of course, I'm sad. I lost a match in the quarterfinals in an event that means a lot to me. I missed an opportunity to be in the semifinals again. Well done for him. He played better than me in the important moments. It was an equal match. I tried my best. At least I'm going home healthier than I was one and a half weeks ago, which is a very positive thing for me. Uh, just on the evenness of the match, uh, there were three points that separated them. In the end, how often is that the case in tennis? Just mm. this beautiful scoring system. And both had more winners than unforced errors. You know, it wasn't just a match that was brilliant because of the drama and the undulations of it. The, the quality of it was also brilliant. They weren't necessarily both brilliant at the same time, but it was a high quality and thrilling match. Yeah. And credit to whatever digital divine device was uh, controlling the crowd noise during the match because I thought it did it did a pretty good job of filling some filling some gaps as did the seagulls they oh, were quite prominent I hope they were real they were awesome <laughs> um, there was a moment when I was I was only listening to, to a moment in the fourth set David um when I was only listening to it on the radio with your commentary and I did wonder, is that if are they piping in seagull noise? <laughs> like at the seagulls Masters were, Golf. <laughs> yeah. The seagulls were loving it. I mean they were pumped. Yeah. Yeah, they were David Law esque pumped. Excellent. Um and spoiler alert for for a little bit later in the podcast, this wasn't even the biggest swing in momentum or turnaround in a match in the day, in my view. There was a bigger one. Mm, no, there was. Just just to um, finish on this briefly, because historically this is a massive moment, really. Mm. Um, first of all, the fact that Nadal doesn't overtake at this tournament Roger Federer on 20 Grand Slam titles. They share that until at least the French Open in a few, a few months' time. Um, Djokovic now has a chance to close the gap. He's on 17. And it's just been... Uh, tweeted by the ATP that with Nadal's loss, Djokovic will celebrate his 311th week as world number one on the 8th of March, passing Roger Federer for the all-time record. Ooh, that's huge, I think, mm. for Djokovic. It, there are two records that, that Novak Djokovic has constantly talked about wanting to have, and it's the men's Grand Slam record and it's the men's most weeks at world number one record. Yeah, that is that is huge for him. Um, incidentally, I think Nadal going out makes it worse for Djokovic this tournament. I think Tsitsipas or Medvedev would be tougher opponents for him in the final than Nadal, given his record against Nadal on a hard court. That goes against everything David said yesterday in his big bigging up of the Nadal-Serena double. Well, that is I mean, that is very much a thing of the past. Or easy to say that when he's out. Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I mean, I, I think I did mention that yesterday as well. He, no, I, I mean, look, Sitsipas or Nadal on paper. I, I mean, look, I know what you're saying, um, but if 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 Nadal had gone and crunched Sitsipas in that third set, would you have been well sure. saying that? Would you have been saying that Medvedev's more of a risk than Djokovic than Nadal? Yes, I would. I had Medvedev beating Nadal. Uh, yeah, in the seventh, I, I, I think if if I think if he'd have finished it off, he'd have won that been... third set six two. It's it's the matchup. Yeah, he was winning set six two against great players two years ago and got crunched by Djokovic. I know Djokovic isn't seemingly playing quite as well, but the stats are pretty stark. Nadal against Djokovic on a hard court. 
like 18 in a row like, or something, David. Like with That's For You, TP, we'll never know. <laughs> uh, the beauty of sport and sliding doors moments. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. It'll be Sitsipas against Medvedev in the semi-finals, uh, which we've kind of given away. Medvedev beat Rublev 7-5, 6-3, 6-2. I I didn't I didn't watch that. I stayed up for the the Barty Mukova match and then and then went to sleep. Uh, I saw the early stages actually of Brady and Pagula. Um I trusted David that you would wake up well before your alarm I was there. <laughs> and have this one covered. Yeah. Um but I, I look I I've I love Rebel. I've got a lot of time for his game, but I wasn't remotely surprised by the scoreline that it was very one sided for Medvedev. There's just there's just more to his game mm. at the moment. The thing was, it wasn't even that one-sided. It was very competitive, and yet it was straight sets, which is even to me is even more alarming for Rublev because I thought he played quite well. He, I think he came out with a slightly different strategy. He decided to just target the Medvedev forehand, and he was slamming his own forehand. But he couldn't. He can't hit through him. Everybody keeps going on about what a massive forehand Rublev's got. <laughs> He can't finish points against this guy. And, you know, it was close in the first set, 7-5. Second set, they had a 43-stroke rally that Rublev managed to win, but it finished him. He he actually, I think he got to break point in the next game, but it was so brief. It was just, he was on fumes at that point. And looking at him, I was worried for him. Um, it was very hot. And he was in a slugfest with a guy he'd never taken a set from. And, I mean, I, I just really felt sorry for him because he, he, I'm, th I'm looking at him. I mean, maybe he will do a Sitsipas against Nadal. But I'm looking at that matchup and thinking, if, if Medvedev's dialed in, I don't see how you beat the guy. It was before the tournament when Medvedev said he looks at the big three and he says that players are intimidated to take to the court against them physically and mentally. And he wants to get to that position. And it strikes me that he achieved that today against Rublev. He was buzzing off the fact that he made Rublev cramp. He said as much. He said, "Not nobody does that you to Rublev. You sound like a psychopath. Well, 
but, but I mean that's the that's the sport, isn't it? I mean he's he's a great mate of his, and yet mm, the sport, yeah. the sportsman in him, yeah. I mean I I agree with you. It's a badge of honour to 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 beat the guy physically to that degree. Mm. And I enjoyed this match because it was it made it so obvious what Medvedev's strengths are. I think sometimes Medvedev can be difficult to pin down as a tennis player, and that is intriguing as well. But today, the way, as David said, he just absorbed all the pace that Rublev was throwing at him and turned it back on him was kind of masterful. He made it look easy, really. He handled anything Rublev threw at him easily. I mean, it was it was a close match. There were lots of... It was gruelling. It was physical, but just always felt like Medvedev was levels above. So how do you beat Medvedev then? Well... I, th- I mean, it's an interesting one, isn't it? With Sitsipas, if if he plays his best, what what happens? Can he can he do it? Um, I think he can. I don't necessarily think he will, and I'm not sure what I'm going to pick for it yet. I mean, I've, I I would probably go for Sitsipas because I did pick that at the start of the tournament. I had Sitsipas beating Medvedev in the semi-finals. Uh, watching them, I mean, Medvedev does look awesome. He does, and he's got a win, handsome winning record against him. But Sitsipas has just got a little bit of X factor about him as well. I feel like he's capable of exploding into some form that and, and difference, you know, that maybe the others can't handle. All other things being equal, are you concerned for Sitsipas's physicality, his ability to recover from from today? No, Matt. No. Not particularly. It was a gr- it was a physical match for sure. But what was it? Just over four hours. He didn't play the round before. I think he's got quite a lot in the tank. He's young. He's fit. I think he'll be all right physically. Yeah, he's flying like a little bird. <laughs> he'll uh, he'll be just fine. Uh, so Sitsipas Medvedev is the semi final. What do you two two- think? I still think Medvedev. Yeah, I do. I. Pre-tournament, I had Medvedev beating Djokovic in the final. And I don't feel confident about that at all. But I've not seen anything to to change to change my conviction in that over the course of the last 10 days. Conviction is far too strong a word. Vague, unscientific feeling in the water. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll stick with that. But I'm... I'm pumped for I'm pumped for Sitsipas Medvedev. Imagine what I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> he is just beaming. How long have you both been up for? It's two oh nine PM now. Twelve You're both hours. indicating that you watched Rublev Medvedev. Did you watch Pagula Brady? Yeah, I you woke did, up David. when Pagula had just taken the first set. Matt? Well, I woke up at the start of the third set of Ash Barty. Oh, yes. And Go we on, had Matt. quite the text exchange because there was so very much to fill you in on. I put out an appeal midway through the second set of that sort of saying, oh, my God, someone wake up and share this with me because I I sort of can't con- can't contain my thoughts about what's happening. I've been having a crisis about how on earth to explain the Ash Barty, Carolina Mukova match on this podcast for the last 12 hours. I'm not sure... You know, Sitsipas style, I'm not sure there are words. <laughs> well, well, I need your help because I didn't see it. <laughs> Sitsipas said he was speechless and then spoke for about and then five minutes uninterrupted. <laughs> well, look, I thought it was one of the weirdest tennis matches I've ever seen. World number one, Ash Barty. I know she's not played for the for the past year prior to the Gippsland Great Open Road Ocean Tournament trophy last week um, and and this Grand Slam but she's the world number one she's barring a couple of games here and there looked in absolutely supreme form she's got this incredible level head where nothing seems to phase her she is absolutely cruising against Carolina Mukova who looks bamboozled by the whole experience there is no evidence of a specific injury but she did look dazed and it was hard to tell whether she was just dazed by what was coming at her from the other end of the court and this whole experience of, okay, it's her second Grand Slam quarterfinal, but, you know, it's all still pretty new to her. 
and just the weight of shock coming from Ash Barty looked like it was knocking her off her feet. She was dazed and confused. She lost the first set 6-1. She hit 13 unforced errors in that set. And honestly, it felt less close than 6-1. It felt like a, it felt so uncomfortable to watch. It was it was embarrassing and it was it was car crash watching. Oh, I kind of want to go back and watch it. And was, <laughs> was it was it Mook, did Mook and, and where would you put the balance between one being great and the other one being terrible? Uh, I mean, yes, the thirteen unforced f unforced errors. That sounds bad, but it was also just her weapons were being made fun of by Barty. There were a couple of couple of points, I think, in the second game on Mukova's serve where she hit her slice, which I've previously admired. I really liked the Mukova slice and the, the Mukova variety. And Barty just hit clean forehand winners off it. And it, it was like she was laughing in the face of of weapons that had done damage against all her previous opponents and I just thought uh oh I was I was texting Andrew um American Andrew who was covering our Twitter at the time just sort of <laughs> just yeah reaching around for someone to share the experience with little did I know what was to come and he Andrew said name me a thing that Mukova does better than Barty and I thought about it for a long time and I replied, cry maybe at the end of this match. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah. It American was... Andrew being our affectionate name for him, Andrew Bridges. Yes. Hello, Andrew. Bless him. Um, and the second start set starts in the same way. Um, Mukova gets broken. She's trailing 2-1. It feels the ex- there's no shift at the end of that set. It feels like a continuation of the first then Mukova calls for the doctor and the trainer to come onto the court. As I said, while it while it there wasn't evidence of a specific injury, she did look there was no there was no sort of fight, there was no um there were no remonstrations at all, there was no sort of outward anything from Mukova. She did look just in a daze. So she goes off court for a medical timeout. The the total pause in play is probably about six or seven minutes. It is quite lengthy. Um, and play resumes. And then it got so weird that I just, uh, I'm, I'm at a bit of a loss at this, at this point, almost simultaneously to play resuming Andrew highlighted on our Twitter that an erroneous graphic had been put out in the coverage of the, um, penguin, um, Philip Philip Island Island trophy. Trophy. Showing that Petra Martic was about to take on Ivo Karlovic <laughs> for a place in the quarterfinals, and honestly, that match might have been less weird than the remainder of Mukova against Barty. Because why? What because happened? Ash Barty couldn't find the tennis court for the remainder of that match. Prior to the medical timeout, Mukova had one winner in ten games. Then she had four. In the two games after it, she won seven of the next eight games after the medical timeout. Um, it, 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 and you're just waiting. You're just waiting for her to study that she, you're thinking, okay, Banash Barty is going to have a moment where she releases some emotion or resets in some ways and she's going to find it again. She is the world number one. She knows how to play tennis. She's going to remember any minute now. It's not like there's a crowd here to to get on her back and mount mount the pressure on in a way that I think happened a little bit against Kenin last year. Just that kind of murmuring, nervous murmuring of oh, exactly. What's and what's in fact, the the what I thought was the uh, the DJ at the time seemed to find a new button for sort of. Nervous, confused crowd murmur. Oh, God. <laughs> Especially for that match. You know that sort of just low-level hum that goes around the place yeah. of like, um, well, we can't sort of cheer because this is awful, but I need to make some sort of noise. Um, he started doing that and it was actually really, really appropriate. Um, sort of just this low-level chatter. And... It never came. Mukova went to a double breakup in that in the third set. 
And when she was serving for the match with the double break cushion, there were break back points for Barty. And I was thinking, if she gets broken back here, that's it. Because that will be an indicator that Barty has remembered how to play tennis, remembered that she's the world number one, and she'll resume what she was doing in the first set and, and normal normal service will be resumed. But she didn't. She just had a couple of moments and then she faded off the Rod Laver arena and it is a seriously worrying collapse from Ash Barty. I know some people are using it as a springboard to discuss the, the medical timeout. Pam Shriver tweeted the medical timeout by Mukova at one six one two down, a breakdown in the second seemed legit, but it still does not sit well when it pivots a match on a dime. Mukova has won seven of eight games since leaving the court. Thoughts, anyone? And a lot of people were kind of putting views out there of that type, like not questioning the legitimacy of the the medical timeout, but rather saying, are we comfortable with a situation where a medical timeout can swing a match like this? Well, I would say it is Ash Barty that swung a match like that. You, you have to cope better with that situation than Ash Barty did. It was one of the most staggering collapses I've I've ever seen. And Ash Barty has said that. She has said, mm. there is no way I should have let that become such a turning point. I'm experienced enough. I've played enough matches. I'm not doubting the legitimacy of the medical timeout. Yes, it threw me off my rhythm, but I should have been able to cope with it better. She is making absolutely no excuses. She just lost her game. Could she explain it at all? Because if I'm in her shoes, I I realise that's a stretch, everyone. That is going to play on my mind big time. The knowledge that it can just go and stay um, gone. I I made a similar point on air earlier today based on the fact that she'd had those losses to Alison Risk at Wimbledon when she'd been the best player in the draw to that point. The loss to Sophia Kennan last year there have been one or two like that where you just, where's her game gone? What, what, why isn't she able to influence this match anymore? Um, Russell Fuller, who was sitting next to me, said, I think she gets a free pass for this one. She hasn't played for 11 months. She's not match tight. And if this carries on, if this happens again, then, then you would raise alarm bells. If this, you know, if this becomes a theme, but on this occasion... It's it's different because she just she's been the least uh, prepared of all players, given that she's just comes straight out of eleven months off. I I take that argument. Um, I'd say I think there's a point there. I would say the the as you say, David, the slight pattern emerging and the severity of it on this occasion mitigates that argument a bit and I would also say that doesn't mean she gives herself a free pass in her own mind Mm. and even if she does consciously it doesn't mean her self-conscious gives her a free pass how can that collapse not now feature in her psyche in future matches it it was it was a foundation shaking sequence of events Mm. yeah I mean (laughs) That's part of the experience, I think, of watching Ash Barty. I said to you that it almost felt like she was letting it happen. And of course, she isn't letting it happen. Internally, I'm sure she was raging at the errors she was making. And she was competing as hard as she can, I'm sure. It just doesn't look like that when you watch because she's so contained, because she's so calm and I think as a spectator, I found myself thinking, I would love to see a bit of external fight here from Ash Barty. You know, let a forehand rip, just get something out of your system or vent a little bit. But that is that is me projecting onto Ash Barty. She doesn't mm. she doesn't go about her business like that. And it works for her the way she approaches matches and plays matches. I agree there's a there's a small pattern in these 
some of these big matches where we've expected her to win. But I don't know. I I think she's pretty in control and knows herself pretty well in terms of how to deal with these situations. The, the other thing I, I would just point out is that Sitsipas handled his deficit 6362 without ranting and raving and getting excited or mm. getting upset throwing a racket he internalized and he worked his he persevered and she's she needs to find ways in those situations to do that persevere get back in a match i would have thought most likely it's just a case of keep continuing to put yourself in the position and to learn how to come out of those situations when they arise and i'm not I don't think she could change or, you know, and I don't think, I don't really think she should. I think mm-hmm. it's, it'll, it'll be a, an incremental learning experience. I, f- I do find her way of handling it quite interesting, the political manner in which she deals with questions in press conferences and, and very clearly decides she's not going to get involved. And I, I, I like the fact that she didn't try and throw Carolina Mukova under the bus, who was dizzy and, on, on, and not feeling well and had some treatment, you know, um, maybe some people feel the rules should change and if you're not fit, you should just retire. That's a separate point. But I think that Barty, well, she she wants to be able to wake up tomorrow and feel right, I think, and give give herself, you know, uh, a new day to just move on. Time will tell whether that is going to work for her. Um, but I, I kind of think it will. I think she'll just keep having to put herself in this position. I think what you're saying is that that loss has scarred me potentially more than it scarred Ash Barty. I mean, I don't. I mean, I, I suspect. I suspect it looks in t- terribly jarring to to you, and I'm sure if I watch you back, I'll feel the same. And look, it may end up being a recurring theme, but I think she is kind of world comfortable enough you know she's she puts tennis in perspective i think in a certain Mm. perspective that not everybody can and i think she does that as a sort of self-defense mechanism and i think that i kind of understand that and i think that might end up long term making her better if if she sort of plays herself out of it and gets herself Mm. into those situations and builds up the muscle memory again it is unclear how much she intends to play. She did um, say she was going to set up camp in Europe, which she did, I found did she? interesting. Okay. She, said what, she said what her plan is, because obviously the, the issue she's had is she didn't want to play throughout all the, mm. the, the lockdown periods, but she, what she decided, said she's going to do is set up camp throughout the whole of the European season and I think plans to play Middle East as well. But if she can set up camp with her team she can go and play golf she can have some downtime but be in europe for the clay for wimbledon for the grass and try to get a sense of normality that way whilst also playing these events and i think that 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 sounds like a really good compromise mm. to me well that's great that's really really good to hear it means david with all due respect to carolina mukova that the jaw has opened up for jennifer brady Sure has. Very interesting <laughs> match that was today. I mean, I, I didn't see the first set, but Pagula was seen to me to be knocking her off the court. And um, and at the start, I think of the second set, she was pushing her as well with these low flat hits. I think you, Andrew mentioned this this clearance over the net being very small compared to the loop on the strokes of Brady. But Brady is just her appetite for it. I mean, she she was also clearly handling the hot weather better, so she outlasted Pagula. Because I kept every time I looked at the screen, it seemed to be Pagula winning points, and yet the scoreline was going dramatically in Brady's favour in sets two and three. And she was just efficient. She's a relentless player because she's got reliable backhands and forehands. Yeah, it was it was interesting because it came straight after Ash Barty's gone out of the tournament, which changed my whole outlook on that half of the draw. I think quite probably, I mean, on reflection, naively, I had pretty much penciled Ash Barty all the way through to the final based on how well she was playing and who's left in that side of the draw. And it felt to me a little bit like maybe that was slightly playing on Brady and Pagula's mind at the start, especially Brady, perhaps. she she didn't start very well. She looked a bit unsettled. But it was an interesting match, as you said, David. Both players like to take the initiative 
in the rallies. They just go about it in very different ways. Pagula with her flat hits, Brady with more spin. Um, and Pagula was penetrating the court brilliantly in that first set, kind of knocking knocking Brady off balance a little bit, rushing her. But gradually Brady took over, and I do think the heat and the conditions were a big factor in that. As you said, Pagula's serve started deserting her, and physically she didn't look as strong as Brady in the closing stages, who is definitely very, very fit and strong, Jennifer Brady. Um, they've also got quite different demeanours, Jessica Pagula doesn't really give very much. She's very level-headed, whereas Brady will give you a little bit more emotion. Um, and then a sweet moment at the end of the match where the umpire at the start had told them, at the end, no hugging. And I thought at the time they sort of looked at each other as if to say, yeah, right. And then uh, after the match, they did they did share a nice hug. It was really warm, wasn't it? Really warm. Uh, they're, they're properly good friends, those two. And and uh, by the way, I don't I don't know Jennifer Brady at all. Never met her. Never spoken to her. Um, and she always comes across. She gives these really sort of straight faced answers to interview questions. And and I sort of think, oh, that she looks like a nightmare to interview, to be honest. Um, but there were just two moments that really struck me when she came off the court. And obviously, a huge moment for her having reached the semi final. But you know how the cameraman or operator reverses down the corridor with the player in front of them so they can take pictures of them as they're, as they're walking towards the camera. And, and he's doing that. And then when he gets to the end of his run and she's about to go in the locker room, he goes, well done, Jen. And she goes, oh, thanks very much. And well done with the backpedaling. <laughs> <laughs> Which was a, a really nice, funny moment, I thought. He, he laughed. And, um, and then also... She was congratulated by Shay by Suwe Shay on on Instagram, and Jennifer Brady was giddy about this in her press conference. <laughs> she was absolutely chuffed to bits that Suwe Shay had said nice things about her, and she's just raving about her and how much how how lovely she thinks she is, you know. And um, I thought there's clearly more to this woman than we than we have seen so far, and I, I'm. And I just, I just really respect the way she has transformed her her prospects as a tennis player in the last year. It's really night and day the way she's made herself into a, a physical force, and also her game is pretty formidable. Mm. Backing up that U.S. Open run at the very next hard court Grand Slam, mm. you know that's something Serena's done. Osaka's done. They were both in the U.S. Open semis. They're now in the Australian Open semis. And Jennifer Brady has done. Mm. That is very, very impressive. As as Matt pointed out in our WhatsApp chat, this is the first time David G hasn't completely let you down. <laughs> <laughs> well, the funny thing is the because uh, the first one was when I was backing her to do next to nothing, and she, and she was she <laughs> she's was overhyped going, everyone. She's overhyped. Yeah, she's going to the semi-finals. Uh, she beat didn't she beat my player or something like that? I can't remember who it was. And then I picked her to win the French Open and she loses in the first round to a 17-year-old who, incidentally, was prodigious. It was Clara Towson, wasn't it? I don't even remember her name. The Danish youngster, Clara Towson. Clara Towson. And and it did strike me that the trajectory on the balls that Pagula was hitting and causing her problems with Mm. were the same types as Towson was hitting that day. And I thought this could go wrong for her. She did a really good job of, because I think she knew she's the favourite in the match. She's, mm. And suddenly, as you said, Catherine, Ash Barty's not there. I haven't got to face Naomi Osaka to get to a Grand Slam this time. I haven't got to face the world number one. I mean, with all due respect to Mukova, this is a real chance. But she she conquered it. For you and for Jen. What a journey, well, David! People been on. copying me on texts, like <laughs> tennis podcast listeners exchanging messages about what this would mean to me. I'm like, <laughs> I don't even know, even know the woman. But anyway, <laughs> I'm really delighted for her. She seems, uh, she seems, well, she's a really good player. And I like her. I had forgotten that you'd picked her to win the French Open. You'd no, actually I'd, picked her to no, win. Maybe it was the final. I can't remember how far I'd gone. I think you'd picked but... a Serena Brady final. Probably, yeah. <laughs> That that didn't work out too well. Uh, so it will be a Mukova Brady semi final. One of those will be an Australian Open finalist to take on either Osaka or Serena. Um, we'll have a, a minute or two to di- to discuss that in a moment. Just to 
to whiz you through some other notable events from day 10 in Melbourne. Dylan Alcott, um, he beat Sam Schroeder 6-1-6 love in an hour and three minutes wow. uh, to win his seventh consecutive AO quad singles title. Um, it was a it was a bit of a saga, this one, because obviously it was supposed to follow Nadal Sitsipas, um, which ended up being a four-hour-plus match. Um, and it did eventually get get moved um, to Yvonne Gulagong Arena, the um, the Dylan Alcott match, um, which means obviously it didn't get the primetime tennis coverage. And also a, a lot of people were critical of how late they moved it, how much waiting around there was. I mean, look, he always knew he was, that match, those players always knew they were going to follow a potentially long match. So I think potentially it's quite harsh criticism. But anyway, 6-1, six, 6-love. In an hour and three minutes. Extraordinary. Um, Joaquim Gerard beat Alfie Hewitt in the men's wheelchair singles final. That's his first ever Grand Slam uh, in his third final. And he's the first Belgian uh, to claim a Grand Slam wheelchair singles title. So that's a huge moment for Joaquim Gerard. Mm. And there was almost an epic comeback in that because he was, I think he was six love, four love up. And, Alf- oh, wow. and Alfie Hewitt got it back to, it went to the third set. So it was wow. almost an incredible comeback. He did admit that he was incredibly nervous <laughs> and he really, it was, he felt like it was, you know, Hewitt as well, but him against his nerves to some extent out there. Obviously, huge moment for him. Uh, big moment for me here because I've got to do some um, mouth gymnastics with my Dutch pronunciations here. A listener has written in to correct me on my pronunciation of the forthcoming name and I'm really about to give it my best Best shot. Go on, Catherine. Given it a couple of practice runs. And this is the best I've got. Dida de Groot. Oh, yes. That was a different sound that came out of your mouth. I wasn't expecting that. Were you, Matt? No. amazing. Beat Yui Kamiji. Can you do it again? (laughs) No. (laughs) Uh, Only if you sing, Matt. Very, yeah, exactly. In a very dramatic two hours, 20 minutes, uh, women's wheelchair final. That is, oh God, that is De Hutt's, uh third Australian Open title and her ninth major overall. So that's pretty incredible. I'm going to move on from her very quickly though. Dutch <laughs> um, listeners, how did she do? Marks out of 10. Oh, well, whatever it is out of 10, it is, I've maxed out. <laughs> Um, Jamie Murray, Bruno Suarez are into the semi-final of the men's doubles as are Rajiv Ram and Joe Salisbury so that's a good day for the Brits they play each other I think in the semi-finals yeah so guaranteed Brit in the final Um, and the women's doubles final will be Krejcikova and Siniakova who are the third seeds against Mertens and Sabalenka who are the second seeds um, so that's coming up. Um, and other other sort of straggly bits of tennis news. The Andreescu comeback continues and she's doing it in classic Andreescu style. She's into the semifinals of the Philip Island Trophy. Very good. Thank you. Um, it's her first semifinal since the 2019 US Open. Uh, she beat Arena Camellia Begu, 6-3-4-6-7-6. Um, so third set tie break and she'll face Marie Bushkova in the uh, semi-finals. Uh, Sophia Kennan, uh, she's had an appendectomy, an emergency appendectomy, um, which rather explains her her very strange loss to uh, Olivia Gadecki. Um, the unranked player a, a few days ago. I mean, that's, yeah, good. our thoughts go out to Sophia Kennan having an emergency um, operation uh, in a foreign country is uh, is not, not easy. I know it's, generally speaking, very straightforward surgery, um, but still, fingers crossed for her and uh, we really wish her well. Um, and Andy Murray has pulled out of Biella 2, uh, he reached the final of the Biela 1 Challenger last week. Um, the Biela 2 Challenger is uh, this week. Uh, he's pulled out of it, um, but it's not because of injury. He is still intending to play in Montpellier uh, next week. So those of you that were 
going to be keenly glued to Biella for a second week. Maybe I mean, maybe you will, still will be. Um, got, a, maybe, got a taste for it? <laughs> yeah. If you've just been reeled in by everything that Biella has to offer. Uh, now then, what about the day 11 order of play? It starts with mixed doubles on the Rod Laver Arena. Sam Stozer and Matt Ebden in action there. So... Um, an Aussie team. And that is followed by Naomi Osaka against Serena Williams. The absolute nightmare time of day for us and for European viewers. The, 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 the best time of day for American viewers. And I'm, I'm pleased for them, but it's suboptimal for us. What time is it? Uh, so that is not before 2 PM at local time. So that's 3 AM. In the UK, Works up for with me. the partridge. That's fine by me. I'm ready. Yeah, that is right in the David Law sweet spot. <laughs> yeah. Dead for nine. <laughs> um, it's followed by Carolina Mukova against Jennifer Brady. Um, of course, they, as, as per usual, they play the women's semifinals all in the same day session. So um, one, one fewer day's rest for, for Mukova and Brady. Um, obviously, there is the slight sort of illness question mark over Mukova, so we'll see. Um, but Brady would probably be the favourite in that regardless, I'd say. It certainly feels like hers to lose. Uh, and then the night session is Novak Djokovic against Aslan Karatsev, the lion that goes to toilet. <laughs> What's happening there? What's happening in any of it? Uh, Asaka, Brady and Djokovic. Matt? Agreed. Hang on, has have you changed your mind, David? I thought you were going for Serena, David. Yeah, I did as well. No, I got a soccer to win the title. Now okay. that Nadal's gone. No, I just I gave you my narrative potential possibility. Right. But I'm I'm giving I went pre tournament Osaka to reach the final. Um Brady yep. now that Barty's out, Brady will win and Djokovic will win. I'm gonna find someone that's predicting a Karatsev victory. Come on then, Catherine. There will be there will be someone on Twitter. Ah, uh, no, I'm going Osaka, Brady, and Djokovic. Um, yeah, but who knows after today? Well, yeah, I'm pumped. Impossible for all is of it. nothing, folks. Impossible is nothing. That's what we've learned from the Australian Open 2021. Um, there'll be predictions in our newsletter. We've kind of given the game away about what we'll be saying, but people might be taking risks because there is there may or may not be quite significant ground to be made up. Plus, we'll be picking sets. And, yeah, we'll be picking sets. So uh, do subscribe to our newsletter if you haven't already. Uh, and if you have a pet... Um, hello, for starters. And uh, <laughs> secondly, uh, follow us on Instagram because we're going to be running a little story, uh, a, a little uh, competition, which is my big plan just to get people sending us pictures of their pets, which is sort of always, always my MO. Um, we want to see your pictures of your pets watching the tennis uh, the more creative, the better. Paraphernalia is encouraged. Twiglets. Um, podcast what, what, visibility. Podcast merch and or sort of watching devices, listening devices. Um, I do understand the medium of podcasting, listening device. <laughs> um, that is all. Bonus points for all of that. Um, we want you to uh, post the pictures on Instagram, tagging at Tennis Podcast. We'll share the best of them in our stories. Yeah, so you need to put them in your stories, Instagram stories. Yeah, we don't want yeah. people, you know, ruining their lovely Instagram feeds <laughs> for this competition. <laughs> they can put it in their story. Yeah, <laughs> pop it in your story, tag at Tennis Podcast. We'll share the best of them and we will pick a winner. I say we, I'll pick a winner. Um, and that winner will receive not only a tennis podcast pet bandana. Rosie has one. She has modelled it. She can confirm it's great. Uh, but also a currently uh, not public available piece of exclusive tennis podcast merch. Yeah. We're yeah. developing new lines, folks. Developing and, and, new and lines. the winner of this competition will get the first one. Yeah. Yeah. And do, and you'll also get the joy of just cheering up my day with pictures of your pets. Um, Billie Jean has started things off 
Um, she's she showed us all how it's done, so that'll be on our stories to come. Um, Billie Jean is sponsored by Billie Jean King. That'll never get old, saying that. Um, my my mascot is Zeus. He's lovely. Mine's Rogue. Right, Rogue. Mine is Scousel Mousel. Hello, Scousel Mousel. Um, our Australian Open mascot is Crumble. Hello, Crumble. Hi, Crumble. Um, and Chris Albert Lee is our executive producer. Right, Chris. And our shout outs are format. Kate Darling. Oh. <laughs> Simon Briggs has got to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm for- are you a relative of our former Chancellor, Alistair Darling? Kate, magnificent name. Thank you for your support. Magnificent name. Ajay Nathan. Oh. Ajay. A Nuts. relative of Jiri Nathan? The writer. Who Great knows? writer. Well, Ajay, thank you so much. Thank you, Ajay. And finally, Carrie Flanagan. Oh, hello. I know Carrie Flanagan. I Do think you? Carrie Flanagan writes to us. Does yeah, she does I she live so. is she staying in your house? <laughs> <laughs> That's a bit niche. <laughs> yeah. If Do we need to explain listened, that reference? If anybody hasn't listened. <laughs> it's, it's the year anniversary of she's staying in my house. <laughs> yeah, we had a shout out last year where somebody who does stay in my house from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> as a friend of my wife and is somebody who comes to spend some time with us and as the family also happened to back us and <laughs> i didn't know she was coming out of the shout outs hat and uh, when Catherine said who it was i said oh she's staying in my house <laughs> they didn't know that but carrie flanagan isn't currently no hello carrie thanks but so we much do for know and like her hello yeah. carrie thank you all for your support thank you for listening tell your friends leave us an itunes review sign up to the newsletter because it's great follow us on twitter that is that's brilliant and um i mean you can follow us on instagram even if you don't have a pet that's very welcome but um doubly encouraged if you have a pet and do enter the competition and we'll be back tomorrow with day 11 of the australian open with crowds hooray 